Thank you for joining us in worship today and joining our church in the family of God. Pastor Joe is going to bring a word here in just a moment, and I'm going to pray before that happens. Dear Jesus, we are so grateful that your spirit is in this place, that your spirit has come into our homes and blessed us this morning. God, I pray that your spirit would help us to understand the word of God, that we would not walk out of this place the same, that we would walk out changed and transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Here's Pastor Joe this morning. Welcome, glad you joined us this morning. So great to have you with us at Bysville Assembly of God as we worship the Lord together. Today we want to talk about a passage of scripture that's probably very familiar if you've been in church world at all. It's a very familiar story that we taught our kids probably from a young age. We talked to them about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're going to find that story in Daniel chapter 3. Those are probably the names that you know them by. The Shadrach, the Meshach, and the Bendigo, but their names were not actually that. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You see, when Babylon conquered Israel, the king brought some of the elite sons of Israel, um, those people who would be considered the king's descendants. They were nobles. The Bible described them this way they were youths without blemish, they were handsome and skillful in every branch of wisdom, and gifted with understanding and discerning knowledge, kind of like me. I'm kidding, I'm just joking. In other words, these guys were sharp. They were the best of the best. So they bring them in, and what do they do? What's the first thing that they do, as we find in Daniel's, uh, Daniel's book, is this. They change their names. They change their names. Why do you think they changed their names? I would say today that the thought process for me is the reason they changed their names is they wanted to alter their identity. After all, we're known by our name, right? If someone calls out your name, that is something you just quickly respond to. And really, in in a sense, a name becomes who you are. It's your identity. And there is significance in names. If you look throughout the Bible, there are places and locations and and names of people, and they have significance. Jacob's name was called the deceiver, but when God got a hold of his life, he changed that name to Israel. There are places like Bethel, house of worship. There are places uh, in Scripture that have meanings, and names mean something because they bring an identity to it. Can, Can I tell you that the devil is always going to try to alter your identity as a child of God? If you'll give him the opportunity, he's going to attempt to change your name, to call you something that God never intended for you to be. He's going to call you things like failure. He's going to call you things like insecure, like depression, like hurt and anger. He's going to call you names like damaged goods because he does everything that he can do to do what? To change your identity. But according to Scripture, when you come to Christ, Jesus gives you the name son or daughter. Jesus welcomes us into his family. We become adopted, and he calls us redeemed. He calls us saved. He calls us whole. He calls us his. 
These three guys, they get three new names that are references to the pagan gods of the Babylonians that they served. To Shadrach means this, the servant of Aku. Aku was the moon god. Meshach means this, the shadow of the prince. Abednego means the servant of Nego, which is the god of wisdom. We intersect with their story again. That was in Daniel chapter 1. We intersect with their story again, and I want us to look at the significance of their names as we go through Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 opens with the king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has built this humongous statue. It's like 90 feet tall. He's built this huge statue, and he has commissioned all of the people that are there to come and to worship him, to worship this statue. To, and so he, he calls all of these folks, and, and he's going to sound some music. He's going to he play a lot of horns. He's going to play a lot of all kinds of music. When the music hits, when the music starts, that's your cue to get on your knees and to bow down and to worship this idol that he's made of himself. That's what's happening in Daniel chapter 3. All of a sudden, the music plays. And some people look around and they're like, hey, those three guys didn't bow down. So what's the first thing they do? What's the first thing all of us do when it comes trying to get somebody in trouble? You remember if you have siblings, didn't you do this? They didn't do that. Right? So they're trying to get them in trouble. So they tell the king and, and the king makes this decree and, and in his rage he brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to him. He's, he's mad and, and he says, listen, is it true? Is it true that you didn't bow down? That you didn't serve my gods? That you didn't worship this golden image that I've set up? Now I'm going to give you one more chance. That's what he's saying. I'm going to give you one more chance to do this. And if you don't do this, guess what? You're going to get thrown into the furnace, into the fiery furnace. That's what we're going to do. We're going to throw you into this furnace. you got one more shot. That's where we pick up in chapter 3. These guys have come to the realization that very much what could be the case, it's, it's going to cost them their life to serve God probably understanding fully the implication of what's happening by not bowing down. I think that even though Babylon had changed their name, they couldn't change their identity. And I feel like there's some lessons that we can learn from them. I feel like there's some things that, that they practiced in their life that's going to help us today as we look at their Hebrew names and we walk through this experience. The first name is this, Hananiah. Hananiah. Hananiah means this, the Lord shows grace. The Lord shows grace. These men have found favor in the eyes of the king of Babylon. They, he gave them prominent positions. God was with them. One thing I noticed, I, there's the response that these guys give to Nebuchadnezzar after he had threatened them and said, listen, if you don't, the fiery furnace is waiting on you. Verse 16 of chapter 3 says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered. 
Notice, one thing I, I love about that is there's no one spokesperson. It says they answered. That means all of them answered. I love that. And I love their response. It says, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if he does not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image that you've set up. I believe you look at this situation and and it looks bleak. I mean, it looks pretty desperate here. Understanding that in the midst of what's going on could result in actual death. And in the middle of all of that, we can trust the Lord and we can find His grace. God can show us His grace favor. There are times that we face things in life that are serious. There are times that we face things in life that are painful, that are tense. Maybe it was that major surgery that you have, and there are some huge risk factors to it. Maybe you've been stabbed in the back, and you've been hurt over and over and over again by someone that's close to you. There are moments in life that would get real easy for us to just get overwhelmed and just bow down, to just give up. To look at our surroundings and say, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm just going to give in. But today I challenge you that you can have that same resolve that they had. We serve a God that shows grace. Grace that forgives. Grace that speaks to the heart in desperate times. That shouts out things like, my God is enough. He is able That's the one thing I love about this passage. Those guys say, listen, God is able to deliver us. But it also shouts this, that even if He chooses not to, I'm still going to trust. Why am I going to trust? Because His grace is enough. His grace is enough. The Lord shows grace. Secondly, Mishael The name Mishael means this, who is equal to God. So as we said, the king gets furious with these guys. Not only did he defile him, did they defile him, they defiled him in a very public way. So as you can imagine right now, the king is hot. And he wants to make that furnace very hot too. You know, the funny thing about Nebuchadnezzar, it's not really funny, ha ha, it's more of an irony kind of deal, is this. The, ki- the, the king here thinks that he is like on the same plane as a god. And there are many people today that think they are like God. We learned last week that the lie that the devil threw to Eve was this you will be like God. It's that same pride-filled reason that Satan fell from heaven. Pride is the very reason why Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue. Perhaps it was in response to the dream that he had. Chapter before, when Daniel told him that his, he was the head, and it was a head of gold of this statue, maybe he's trying to bring together all of the provinces and demand that they worship as they show loyalty to him. You know, we may not know the actual reason, but I do know that the root of this issue that is in his life is pride. You know, I, I saw this in my commentary. It said this, He is not the first world leader, nor will he be the last, to try to use religion for po- political purposes or for self-exaltation. That's Nebuchadnezzar. 
And as these three guys are standing up to the king, I love what they say. They say, even if God chooses not to, be it known to you, O king, that we will not what? Serve your gods nor worship the golden image you've set up. Can I ask you a personal question today? Do you bow down to idols? I I know that sounds weird because probably most of us that are listening today or watching today, you don't have a golden idol probably in your living room that you bow down to. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. You probably don't have a 90-foot statue in your backyard that you bow down to. But are there things in your life that have caused you to neglect or channel worship away from God and onto something or someone else? Typically, and I feel safe to say that we usually fall under the trap as Nebuchadnezzar and we build idols of ourselves. We want people to bow down to our way of thinking. We want people to bow down so that we can have our ego stroked. We want people to bow down so that we can come out on top. And when our motive is that way, pride devours our heart. The Bible says that idol worship is a sin. In fact, God warns the Israelites many times not to intermarry with the people of the promised land. Why did He tell them that? Because it would bring them into idol worship. They would consume their idols. God said in the Ten Commandments over and also in other places over and over again to not have any idols, no graven images, no idols, to only serve God. And I think in our, our society, like I said, we don't have 90-foot statues in the backyard. We don't have things in our home. But we set up idols to ourselves. So what's the sign that a spirit of Nebuchadnezzar is rising up in your heart? Well, let me just tell you this. One of the signs is this. There will be very little, if any, love in your heart. There will be very little, if any, love in your heart. You will not think of other people and their life will become, and and your life will become all about you. It will become about your wants, your desires, your need to be right. No love for others. That happens because subtly God is squeezed out because He won't share the throne of your heart with you. And since God is love and God is no longer there, You treat others only for what they can give you or what they can do for you. Nebuchadnezzar learned what a dangerous place this was. He learned the fact that pride comes before the fall. If you flip your page over to chapter 4 and verse 28, it says this, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he walked on the roof of the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is this not Babylon the great that I myself have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the honor of my my majesty. Do you feel the pride dripping off that verse? And while the word was still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven away from men, and your dwelling shall be with the animals of the field. You shall be given grass to eat as oxen, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He will. The thing is, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with pride. Who is equal to God? No one. No one. 
He is all-powerful. He is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. He maintains love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He's the one who rescues. He's the one who wins battles. He's the one who we can depend on to bring us out of the fire. Who is equal to God? Nobody. Nobody's equal to God. The final one is this, Azariah. Azariah means this, the Lord helps The Lord helps. Psalm 46 says that God is an ever-present help in time of need. Ever-present. Think about that. He's my my refuge and strength, it says. An ever-present help in time of need. That He is all the time. The modern English version says it this way, that He is a well-proven help. That passage of Scripture goes on to describe some pretty crazy events that could happen. It says that the earth be removed and mountains be carried into the sea. That's a pretty major event. If a mountain is moved into the sea, man, that's a pretty major event, right? Though its waters roar and foam, that kind of gives us an indication, almost like a hurricane kind of deal. The waters are roaring and foaming. And though the mountains shake with its swelling, He describes all these crazy events that could be probably considered to be one very bad day. But in the worst possible scenario that you could ever think of, tragedy, disaster, whatever, God is a well-proven, ever-present help in your time of need. There's a story that goes like this. There's a group of high school students from California that had spent three months preparing and planning to go to Mexico during their Easter break to do some to help the poor. They prayed that God would use them in a mighty way and anticipating an exciting week of ministry, they, they began their journey toward this small church near Mexicali. When they got there, there was a small rural village on a Sunday mornings when they pulled in, and the students saw the church that they were going to be serving. And when they looked at it, they noticed that it was badly burned. The roof had caved in. The only thing that was remaining was these four walls. They began to cautiously kind of make their way into what was left of the building. And they could hear this hymn that was being sung in Spanish. And as would probably be normally the case when people who are different than us and maybe look different than us come walking into a a place that we're either worshiping or together, they're kind of greeted with a puzzled stare, maybe some kind of like a, 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 like, what are you doing here kind of thing. And, And this weary, discouraged Mexican pastor and the nine people that were in church service that day, um, they were halfway through their Sunday morning service. It was pretty apparent that this congregation had never received a letter from these students that was explaining what their plans were. They had no idea that the group was coming, that they were going to be spending the week with them. At the end of that hymn, the pastor stops the service. He walks back to the group of high school students, and he just says this, Que pasa? In other words, he's saying this. um, You could probably interpret it this way. What in the world are you rich white kids doing in our church? Right? After a long silence, one of the students spoke up and he just said this, hey, we're Christians and we're just here to serve. When the pastor heard this, tears started filling his eyes. 
He said this to these students, some people in the village burned down our church six months ago. He explained, we've been praying that God would send help. But we had given up hope that help was ever coming. Praise be to God. You know, those 35 students, they just were stunned in silence because they had heard many times that God wanted to use them. But God is our help. He speaks to people. He speaks through different ways and different times. And He gives us help. He's a well-proven, ever-present help in time of trouble. Maybe you're here today and you've considered giving up hope. Maybe you're like that pastor today. And you've considered giving up hope. You're in the middle of a difficult situation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were in a very difficult situation. There's a 90-foot statue in front of them. There's a king that's angry, ready to kill him beside them. And all they had to do was just bow down. And maybe you're in that kind of situation. Maybe you got a report you didn't like. Maybe there was something going on in your life, in your family, in your church, and things that are happening. And man, it's bringing you such grief. And you're saying, man, I'm tired of standing. It would just be so much easier to bow. And Today you feel the voice of the Lord speaking to your heart because you feel like you've prayed. You feel like God's not answering. You feel like the situation's too difficult. Today I want you to hear this. The Lord gives grace. The Lord can surround you with His grace. I want you to hear this. Who is equal to your God? There's no one. And I want you to know that the Lord helps. Even when it doesn't look like God is there. Can I tell you, as you read the rest of this story, there's another in the fire. These guys, I don't know how they thought this would have ended, They stood up for the Lord. They were not going to bow. And they said, even if God doesn't save us, we're still not bowing. And I'm sure they thought if God was going to save them, He was going to do something maybe a little different. I don't know. Maybe strike the statue down with lightning. Maybe bring a big storm and blow everything up or something. I don't know. But they ended up getting thrown into the fire. And clothes and all, man, took them all, throw them in the fire. And as they're thrown into the fire, they recognize this. The king goes to the window of the furnace and he says, hey, didn't we throw three in? But now there's four. And one looks like the Son of God. I want to tell you this. God shows you grace. There's no one equal to God. He is your help. And He is with you in the fire. He will come and walk with you. He'll send you what you need when you need it. He will give you grace even though it may not get easier. And when you get through this, can I also just tell you, God will restore. And one thing I love about this passage of Scripture in Daniel 3 is the end of the story. So they pull these guys out of the furnace and the crazy thing is is their body isn't even burned. They weren't even burned. Their hair wasn't even singed. I singed my hair just operating my gas grill. Their hair wasn't even singed in this huge fire, this furnace. Their coats weren't even 
changed. The, the color of their coat was still the same. And here's the great thing. They didn't even smell like smoke. Man, you, can, you can't even be around the little campfire without smelling like smoke. They didn't even smell like smoke. That's what God can do. And that's what He does. When we cry out to Him, when we stand and don't bow, when we say, God, I understand that you give me grace. These guys, their names, they meant something to them. You give me grace. God, I know that in the middle of this, I'm in the middle of a difficult situation, but there is nobody equal to you. And I know you're able to help. That's the God we serve. Would you bow your heads today as we pray? Father, right now, I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you just invade every listener today? Right now you're here and you're listening and you're, still, you're praying this through and you really feel like God's speaking to your heart. Maybe you're going through a difficult thing in your life. I mentioned a few scenarios in the message but, and maybe that connected with you, but maybe it's something that wasn't even mentioned. And today you would be real with God and you say, you know what, I heard the voice of, of the Lord today through the Word and, and I want to connect with you. God, show me grace. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. God, that's the first step of grace I would encourage you to take. Who is equal to God? There is no one. God wants to transform your life. He wants to change you today. And if you've not given your heart to the Lord, I encourage you to do that this morning. I want to lead you in a quick prayer, and then we're going to pray one last time. We're going to have one more prayer time before we're done. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those folks today who are crying out to you for salvation for the first time. God, they need grace. God, they don't have a relationship with you, but they want that. And Lord, today I pray right now that you go to them. In the name of Jesus, would you pray this with me? Father, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Move in my life, Lord. I give you all of me today. God, I pray that you would just move in me. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and you're going through a difficult time. We all do. We go through difficult seasons. And today, I, I want you to remember, don't take the identity that the devil's trying to give you. Don't take those things and, and wear that as your identity. God has something else planned. He says, I love you. He says, I'm, you're his. You're redeemed. You're whole. And so today, I, I challenge you with that thought. God can give you grace. There's nobody equal to him. And he's your help in times of need. I want to pray over you today and we'll conclude our time. Father, I thank you, Lord, today. God, that you are are everything. That's what you were to these guys. In a moment when they faced a life or death situation, you became their everything. In the moment of difficult season, when it would have been just so easy to bow down like everybody else, but God, they decided to stand. So God, I pray, help them, Lord. Help us, Lord, today to have the love of God in our heart. Don't let pride fill our life today. If there's people out there that are struggling with that today, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would kill pride in Jesus' name. God, if there are those that are struggling with the fact that they, um, they feel like this pastor in, in this story that was discouraged and they've given up all hope, God, today I pray, may they find hope again in you. May you hear from heaven and move on their behalf. And we thank you, Lord, today in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for tuning in to us today. So glad that you joined us for worship this morning. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.